dear listener, and welcome to 10 Laws with East Forest. This is a podcast series that chats with people who live intrepid lives outside the box. We explore through these conversations things like consciousness, technology, spirituality, nature, ecology, just new ways of living and new stories, and really whatever else comes up along the way. Um, it's just a way to uh, talk to interesting people that I get to meet and interesting people that I've yet to meet. It also will include music and meditations. We'll figure this out as we go along. But if you do like this podcast, please give it five stars on iTunes. That makes a huge difference in uh, people taking the leap to give it a listen and explore it. You can also share it with your friends, social media, of course, and always just sending any support to East Forest in general by streaming the music, coming to a live show, especially sharing it out there uh, with the world makes a big, big, big difference. Uh, you can say hi at info at eastforest.org, send in your questions and your comments. And uh, you can also see on that website, eastforest.org, about events around the country and all that kind of jazz. And if you're super inspired, feel free to send us your hard-earned money via PayPal at info at eastforest.org. You can also do that through Venmo, but you'd have to find Trevor Oswald on there. I don't know if I'm the only one. So you would run the potential risk of sending your money to another guy named Trevor Oswald. You ever done that where you go on like Facebook and you look up your own name and you discover that there's like half a dozen people out there in the world who have exactly the same name as you? I did that once. And what freaked me out about that is that I kind of thought the other people looked like me a little bit. And they were all tradesmen. Like one was a fireman and uh, one was like, I don't know, a, a baker or something. But we had this strange uh, connection and makes me think that I, start, I, th I sort of thought about starting a, a Facebook group for the different Trevor Oswalds in the world. But, you know, I'd send them an invite. and be, Hey, man, your name's Trevor Oswald. And he'd be like, what the fuck? Like, okay, you know? And I'm like, yeah, we can just like talk about what it's like to be a person with that name and vaguely look alike. Hmm. Well, anyway, I didn't do it because it's clearly a stupid idea. Anyway, uh, my guest for today is Lorenzo Haggerty. He is the guy who is the host and started the Psychedelic Salon, which is one of the longest running podcasts, period. I think it's been around 14 years and we talk about that. And he hosts um, talks on that podcast, like... Um, most of them older talks from like Terrence McKenna, Alan Watts, uh, great psychedelic thinkers, uh, philosophical thinkers, and it is an amazing, amazing resource of a website if you or podcast and website. If you haven't dug into that archive, it's a true national treasure of counterculture thought, and it's something that served a really important purpose for me um, when I sort of coming to my spiritual age of just hearing these seminal thinkers. Um, I'm obviously someone who connects to sounds. So like if I could hear their voice and get into these long talks, you know, hour, some of the Terrence stuff is hour, two, three hours. Some of them are quite long and they're amazing, amazing poetry. So I encourage you to check out the Psychedelic Salon and uh, Lorenzo is a pretty cool guy. But before we get into that, I just wanted to share what I've been up to briefly, which is last week I've been in the studio here in Southern Utah. And 
the creative process. Like I've been digging my teeth into some new work, a new collaborative thing that I'm looking forward to being able to talk about soon. But the process is really what's interesting to me because it has been a minute since I've been doing like strictly studio work. And it is very different than performing live or, or, or creating music through sort of a live setup. And it's just, it's so challenging, you know, to like creativity and making something when it's sort of every day, you go through these waves, right? Where it's awesome and then sometimes it's horrifically bad or this is how you feel. Uh, and it could be the same thing that you're working on. You can be really jazzed about it. And then the next day you just feel like it's garbage. And this is not new. You know, this is something at least I've gone through a lot with the creative process. So there's definitely this meta awareness about that this is going to happen, but it doesn't make it any easier when it does. Um, and it, the reason I bring this up is because I believe that our creative potential and the ability to create things is a lot of what makes us human, right? That's something um, next to like our sense of humor that is very uniquely to what it means to, to be a homo sapien. And I also think it's really, really integral to feeling like a full human and, and having the fullness of your existence. Um, so I encourage you to find ways, if you don't have them already, to exercise this creativity. Because I think you'll find that even by free riding or things like cooking, these are all really creative acts. Um, it's, it's exercising a certain muscle in you and you're going to feel better uh, about being alive in the same way that when you do some kind of physical exercise, there's usually some kind of benefit afterwards. But the thing here, the trick is that before you do this, every time there's probably going to be a kind of resistance. And that resistance is always going to be there. I don't know why, what evolutionary purpose it serves that we have this part of ourselves that says, nah, you can check your email first, or yeah, there's no point in that. Uh, you should just, yeah, just go run that errand first. Or forget about that 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 thing. <laughs> I, you can't listen to that. And you, you, it's like going to battle. One of my favorite books uh, for motivation about this is The War of Art. Stephen Pressfield, I believe, is the author. I've given that to many, many people, and it's a very short book you can read, but it speaks to this core message of resistance and how overcoming that is something you go to war with every single day or every time that you're sitting down or standing up, whatever you're doing, that creative act. And I'm telling you this so you don't think that you're unique in that form of resistance. You might think that's a kind of laziness or it's a kind of self-sabotage. And I guess it is, but just know that that's part of the experience. That's part of being human. It's something I face every day. And like what, the thing I'm proud of is the discipline and the will I do to work through that. I'm not taking credit or proud necessarily of the creativity itself, like what comes through. I mean, that's the larger muse. That's the universe speaking through us, right? Through the creative act. But what you are responsible for and what you can be proud of is just doing it. Okay, the labor, not the fruits. So you don't have to worry too much about what you're creating or how, how good it is, all that judgment shit, because that's that's going to come up anyway. You're going to judge it. That's your mind. I mean, that's just the way it works. But just get in there and find something to do that's creative. I know that going in the studio for me, even when it's hard, I'm still, there's a part of me that feels good. Like I just ran a mile. I ran a, an artistic mile. And even if it's 30 minutes or 15 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes, it's still worthwhile. 
So there you go. That's my public service announcement for you on creativity. <laughs> so let's get into this. Mr. Lorenzo Haggerty. He's a super sweet guy. Um, I think I speak in the podcast a bit about how he and I met, which was super fun. And there's some synchronicity to that too. He's, yeah, he's just a good guy. So here it is, Lorenzo Haggerty. Enjoy. Thanks, Lorenzo, for joining me. I'm super happy to see you again, be able to talk. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. So how are you? I'm, I'm good. I, you're out there and you're north of San Diego, right? Yeah, North County. Yeah, just just south of uh, the, you know, the Marine base here, Camp Pendleton. So nothing's on fire. Everything's okay. Everything's <laughs> yeah. perfect. Back to perfect San Diego. 72 and sunny, you know, like always. <laughs> Man. I'm I'm jealous. You know, I moved to Southern Utah actually, and uh, that's not where I am right now. But I definitely became a sun sun worshiper. I get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I grew up in the Midwest, and I I love Ireland. But uh, after all this time I've spent here in Southern California, I I can't get away from it. <laughs> I can't. I just couldn't take it after growing up in the Northwest of the the gray and the rain. It was it was too much. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're plants too. We need we need sun. We need vitamin D. Well, you know that's 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 what they say about the weather in Ireland. That Ireland has uh, nine months of winter and then two months of really bad weather. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it's been a minute since uh, you and I got to talk. I think I stopped by your place a couple years ago, and I was talking yesterday about you and how we cross paths. And I was thinking back on it and. There's a bit of synchronicity involved. I don't know if you remember, but back in 2009, I emailed you because I was a I was a listener, an avid listener to the Psychedelic Salon, and I wanted to introduce you to my work, which was just starting with East Forest. My first record had been. Yeah, I think I, I played a cut of yours or something on one of the podcasts. Didn't uh, you didn't just play a cut; you played the entire record. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you played the entire record of uh, 44 minutes of music on your podcast, which I thought was um, I was just amazed. And I was remembering <laughs> this. I I'd, I'd forgotten about this, and I was remembering this the other day, and I was like, that was so amazing. And like and I also remember when I emailed you, you said something like maybe it's the second time when I stopped by to see you, but you had kind of gotten off email for a while or kind of pulled out of various modes of communication because you felt there was too much. Yeah. And you had said something like, you know, I don't normally check this, but I, I for some reason today I was checking it and your email popped up first one. So yeah, hey, stop by. Let's let's say uh, hi. You know, that's, like, that's happened to me two or three times where just, you know, because I, I get sometimes get overloaded and just <laughs> quit for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so you back on? Where, where are you at? What's your status right now? With oh, things uh, are things are pretty good right now. That all right, uh, good. You know, you're, you're plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I just wanted to to thank you, and I wanted to talk to you because you know when I got into the psychedelic salon, it was a really profound journey for me, and I know a lot of people have had this trip where 
they get into those ideas, they get into that space. And for me at that time, you know, I had not heard a lot of these elders before. I had not heard a lot of these ideas before. And it was profound. And I, f- I found that there was something really poetic about a lot of these recordings being done on tape, on tape recorders and analog, yeah. analog and then here it is, the internet, digitizing everything, democratizing it, and, and putting it out there on a medium like podcasting. And I know it's been a really uh, big journey for a lot of people. I mean, you're still going strong with that, right? You, how many episodes are you at? Uh, I think oh, 570 plus uh, about 30 uh, some of the Salon 2 uh, track too. So yeah. we're, we're, uh, we're up to around 600 podcasts, yeah. That is so cool. So how does, I never really asked you how that whole thing got started. I mean, how does someone end up with that kind of material? And I know you've always been a little bit ahead of the curve in the internet and technology and having an interest in that, but what spurred you to even start that? Well, you know, first of all, I I was in my mid-50s before I heard any of these people talk myself. So, you know, I was a real late comer to the thing. That's awesome. And and then uh, in 2003, uh, my wife and I launched the Palenque Norte Lectures at Burning Man. Right. And, and you know, we had uh, Bruce Damer and uh, Allison and Alex Gray and Eric Davis and Daniel Pinchbeck. And so I recorded them. And but this is in, in 2003, and there was no RSS feed, no no podcast. Right, right. So I took these hour long talks and I put them into little ten minute files, and then put them up on my website because it, the files were so big. You know, at the time there wasn't yeah. much. And so then it uh, goes up to uh, in in uh, January of 2005. I'm at the Mind States conference in San Francisco, and a friend of mine says, hey, I'm going to start podcasting, and uh, can I have the uh, use that stuff that you've got up there on the, on the web? And I said, sure, yeah. I said, you know, I'd, I'd looked at it, but I don't have an iPad, uh, iPod, so I, I didn't look any farther. And he said, oh, you don't need it. You can do it in your computer. So a couple months go by, and he doesn't have a podcast out, so I got a hold of him and said, hey, would you mind if I did it too? And he said, well, first of all, I'm not going to do it now. And secondly, it's your stuff. Go do it. Yeah. So I put out a podcast in March of 2005 from a geek standpoint. I had no intention of doing this. And the only reason I called it the Psychedelic Salon is that I, for several years, uh, myself and uh, Wild Bill Radzinski in New York City and Nick Sand and uh, Dr. Tom, we'd get together on Wednesday nights. We had this really secure, uh, you know, pre-Skype communication <laughs> setup that we had. I, I, I geeked out. And uh, so we, we'd been doing that. And so I thought, well, I'll just call the podcast the same thing. And I did, I did a talk that I gave in, in uh, 2001 at Mind States. And, and uh, I didn't really have any intention of doing a podcast. I, I, I was geeking. Uh, I well, just one of the first, with, it was kind of very, it's pretty early in the medium, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in the first three or four months. And see what, what happened by calling it the Psychedelic Salon, it, it was the only thing in iTunes that had the word psychedelic. It was even before the psychedelic furs got their first things up there. Well, I'm trying to remember if I found it because of that. You know, I might yeah. have done some searching around and I thought, oh, this is interesting because there wasn't much out there. No, no. And, and you know, it was just pure accident. And so I, I, I kept doing I did two or three or four. And, and then I did, you know, I, I just kept doing it, not at regular intervals, but I, I, you know, had, you know, 15 or 20 up there and, 
but over time, I guess it was almost a year later, uh, KMO got a hold of me. And he says, oh, I love your podcast. And I wasn't keeping logs. I don't, I don't have any uh, ads on my site or anything because, uh, you know, I don't want Google tracking all the people who download it. So it's, it's a pretty clean site that way. And, but he says, yeah, he says, you know, uh, the Dope Fiend and I are really pop, uh, happy. And I hadn't been listening to any other podcast. So then I hooked up with, with KMO and the Dope Fiend. And sea Realm podcast. Had, yeah, Damn we had that. those years of it. And uh, just, just by interesting coincidence, you know, I, I've been doing these uh, Zoom conferences on Monday night with my Patreon supporters. And, and a guy this last Monday came up. His name is Travis. And he, he actually came in from New Zealand uh, on, on Monday night. It was Tuesday morning for him. He was at work and he was at lunch hour or something. And, but he just moved to New Zealand about a year and a half before because he was living in Germany. And it turns out he was at Dope Stock <laughs> that oh the God. Dope Bean had, had done. And so this morning, or yesterday, I, I, uh, I sent an uh, email to Dope Bean and uh, uh, he wrote back this morning and says, oh yeah, I remember Travis. He was at the last uh, Dope Stock that we did. What a trip. <laughs> you know, small world. It just keeps uh, bouncing around like that. Dude, you're bringing up all these old memories. I remember the Dope Fiend around the same time, I was probably motivated by the fact that you had responded. I sent those guys my music too, and he he played it on his podcast and talked about it. But I remember he got so high that he couldn't stop laughing while he's trying to talk. And so it's one of these like blunders where he's just like- he now, Was that with, the Dope Fiend or was it- uh, uh, Oh, it was on the network. Um, a, a ninja. Uh, queer yes, ninja. yes, yes, yes. Well, then I, I've got that. I, I saved every one of Queer Ninja's podcasts. Dude, I loved his shows. He gets so high, he starts laughing. <laughs> and he's like, I don't even, I don't know. I don't remember who this is, but anyway, it's wonderful. Just listen to it. I'm like, just say the name. <laughs> He never got it that. out. He's just, you're too stoned. He, sta- he started all his, his shows with easy now. <laughs> yeah. It was funny, but you know. I- you know, uh, Ninja was really uh, deeply involved in the Occupy London movement. And, uh, was he? I, I sort of lost touch with him after that, but uh, I'm sure we could hook up again sometime. But yeah, that was a whole great thing uh, with uh, Dope Fiend and Queer Ninja. And uh, what was that, that guy that... Uh, yeah, there was a couple of them. A freaky guy that took over the thing that uh, KMO had started. To... Oh, oh. The zo- not the zombie podcast. No, but anyhow, you know, that, oh, that yeah. was a, those were some good times, good people. and uh, Yeah, there was, I don't know, that was all, as I could say, pre-2012 days when we're all sort of like <laughs> yearning for a magical wand to fix our problems in a sense. But right, <laughs> deep right. down inside, we're all like, hey, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that was an exciting time. That was actually the same time. So the same time I wrote you and was kind of getting into all this stuff and having my own spiritual awakening, I was reading some of the first books that got me into the subject was Daniel Pinchbeck's Breaking Open the Head. Mm-hmm. And in the back of that, I remember was a little web address. It was realitysandwich.com, which is still around. But So I remember getting into that website, sort of a psychedelic culture you know, counterculture thought magazine. And those guys were all located in New York City, which is where I lived. And so I became really good friends with uh, the four of those guys who were running that. And they did their first retreat. I don't know if you remember, they used to do these reality sandwich retreats in Utah. And I went to the one in 2008, the first one. And uh, now I I moved there. That's where I live. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just moved there. Like, I mean, it completely shifted my reality. Those that those little things, you know. You know, from from New York to Utah is a big big switch. <laughs> oh, dear, yeah, it's you know, well, it's from there to Portland to Utah, but it's been sort of these steps down to more and more nature, more and more expansiveness. Yeah. Um, I also travel a lot, so it's actually, it's not convenient, but it's a nice balance between being out in the world doing things and then I get to retreat back into this beautiful space. Yeah, well, you know, that's why Bruce Damer has this uh, little farm up in the mountains uh, above uh, Santa Cruz. And, but, you know, he's, he's always, you know, right now he's in Asia for a while and, and uh, he's, he's involved in conferences all over the world, travels a lot. So he loves to get back and get his hands in the dirt and just be, you know, in a quiet place about all the traffic and the noise. So. I crossed paths with that guy uh, two years ago at this thing called Summit at Sea. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was, he was talking there. I was playing there. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's pretty crazy. It's a, they get a giant cruise ship, the Summit people. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's told me about that cruise. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah. I know what you're talking about. He was not hard to miss because he went full Bernie man at this thing. (laughs) A lot of these guys are like tech people and New Yorkers in LA. They're kind of, you know, dressed in their black. They're there to have, get drunk and have, you know, meet people. But then there was Bruce Damer like in his full, you know, playa regalia. You know he's he's really on a on a roll scientifically. His uh, he and and uh, his, uh, his research partner have introduced a new theory about the origin of life, which is really uh, taking hold at universities around the world. And you know a bunch of uh, Nobel laureates are on board with it. And, really? and uh, he at the same time NASA is uh, has this mission going out to try to capture a, a, an asteroid. And that was originally he he wrote the first paper on that. That was his idea. I I think I remember him talking to you about that. Yeah, some of his. Both of those things are going on uh, right now. So he's he's getting a lot of attention. Plus, he's on the uh, the uh, team that is uh, picking out the landing sites for the next Mars rover, which I think is going to take off next year or something like that. So, which is totally fake. Think of it right now. Yeah, yeah, he's in uh, Northern California, right? He's got like yeah. doesn't he, yeah. doesn't he have a museum where he keeps old computers? Yeah, he's he's got the DigiBarn Computer Museum, and not only are there hundreds, almost anything that you can have ever heard of, but they all operate. Uh, they what? all boot up. Yeah, you know, when he has a big event, they come out and and all of those things are going. So and you know he interviews a lot of the computer geeks there and. Uh, uh, most of it's online. I mean, a lot of he gets you know thirty, forty thousand visitors a, a day at that thing. So it's a that's uh, cool thing. But it's it's in this old barn. The barn is over a hundred years old. You know, he put a new roof on it a year or so ago. But I was going to say, is it watertight? Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's a fire hazard too. You know, <laughs> those old computers. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but Bruce has his his hands in a lot of things and. Uh, he and I and uh, Bernardo Castrup uh, did a, a three-person Zoom meeting the other day. They'd been—I'd introduced them uh, uh, over a year ago, and they'd been exchanging email. And this was the first time they got together. And so now we've decided that we're going to uh, start doing trialogues online and maybe invite one other person. So yeah, awesome. When he gets back to the country, we're going to uh, uh, get that a little better organized. So so that's. Uh, you know he's he's uh, still has time for us even though he's up in the stratosphere there. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. 
So you've got the psychedelic salon still keeping you busy. Uh, one thing I've always wondered is like, will you ever run out of Terrence McKenna talks? Or is, there, is this sort of like they keep coming down from the cosmos? Well, you know, uh, a, a couple of months ago, I had run out. I, I, well, I was down to my last three or four. And so, <clears throat> since then, I've gotten, uh, well, I've got seven right now that just came in uh, a couple of weeks ago. I haven't digitized and, yet. And you hadn't and, heard them before? I, no, I've not heard them before, and I, I don't think they're probably uh, on the net because uh, at Esalen, they didn't uh, public make public all of his, his talks. Some of them are, are in uh, cassettes that say uh, student version, unedited student version only. And uh, uh-huh. so uh, I'm hoping that this is something that hasn't made it out there yet, but uh, uh, we've got that. And then I, I've got a... Uh, you know, people just send me that stuff all the time. I've done over 270 McKenna talks. Wow. <laughs> and, it's amazing and, there uh, are that many. You know, Ralph Abraham gave me his box of tapes of all their trialogues. And so we, you know, that's what really kind of kickstarted the thing. And then, uh, uh, you know, there there have been all kinds of different people who have sent me boxes of tapes that they've had. You know, the, like the Grateful Dead fans or McKenna oh, fans yeah. following oh, yeah. around and recorded things. So. So, uh, but I've, you know, there's other stuff. There's the Planky Norte lectures every year that I've, uh, you know, that I, I haven't been able to go to Burning Man for a while, but uh, uh, Frank Nuncio now is doing uh, recordings and sending them to me. And in fact, uh, this year uh, uh, I'm going to, to uh, do up a bunch of uh, McKenna talks and, and introduce them and, and the things we've already heard, but some of the uh, McKenna classics. And uh, late at night in the Palenque Norte tent, they're going to play them. And so I'll, I'll introduce those and we'll have a little uh, uh, cool. thing for the burners there. So, uh, you know, we got that going on. And, and uh, I finally decided to start doing, uh, I'm going to speak at another conference. I retired yeah. a number of years ago, but uh, it's fun. Uh, Darren from Orcas Island came on. He's the one that uh, also was involved in the uh, uh, Oracle gatherings that I I did, and, and he's he's uh, one of the producers of Lightning in the Bottle. Yep, uh, do lab guy. Yeah, he came by here the other day, and uh, boy, Lightning in the Bottle—they've got like 150 speakers lined up. I mean, well, it's a pretty big stuff. festival. Yeah, I think it's yeah. 15, 20,000 people. But he's going to start his—he he does the Imagine Festival up on Orcas Island every year, and it's gotten—you uh, know—it's it's a limited size thing. But he's going to do the first Imagine Conference next March. Uh, on the island, and uh, is, he, he's got a hotel that can uh, they, they're going to be able to take about 300 people. Uh, it's going to be limited, of course, but uh, uh, I'm going, Bruce is going, and uh, his connections to Lightning in the Bottle are going to you know, help him uh, get sort of a varied thing. It's not, not only going to be uh, tech and drugs, it's going to be uh, uh, you know, culture or society, and uh, yeah. I know he's going to try to get uh, Alex and Allison Gray to come, so should be a, a, a really, you know, Palenque kind of conference in that it'll be a small and everybody will be eating in the same place and uh, should nice. be fun. So. Well, it's beautiful up there, too. Yeah. Oh, you know, it, uh, if, if the weather was better, that's uh, where I would go once my granddaughters go to college. But, uh, you know, the weather is it's like Ireland up there. <laughs> yeah. But did you know that uh, the American islands are pretty shit weather and that the Canadian ones are the Vashon Islands, I think they're called? Some of them are in the rain shadow. Yeah, like that Victoria and, and Squim, Washington. Some of them capture that. They get twelve to fifteen inches rain a year, or something like that. 
Yeah, so, yeah, it's 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 really interesting up there. Uh, unfortunately, Orcus is is not one of not them. one of them. No, no but <laughs> <laughs> they have probably like a one month summer or something like that. Yeah, well, we're gonna go in March, so we'll see how it is. Oh but. well, it's still it's still pretty mystical. It'd be a nice break from yeah Southern California. Yeah, <laughs> I won't mind it at all. Actually, I like the rain. Yeah, but not every day. To live there. So. Uh, I'm curious what you think. You know, podcasts are more popular than ever, especially audio ones, and I know why I like them. And it kind of excites the imagination. There's an intimacy to just the audio, uh, kind of placing yourself inside the conversation. It's convenient just to walk around or have it and listen to. But where where do you see this medium going? Where where do you th- what do you think is the next step in this? Do you see it moving into some? You already see it just kind of continuing on for a while. Well, you know, for me, it's really kind of a step back because uh, when I was young, we didn't have television in our house. And uh, so I grew up on the radio and, uh, you yeah. know, theater of the mind. And, and uh, on Sunday afternoons, when my dad would be down in his basement workshop and I'd be down there holding the end of boards he was cutting, uh, we always had the radio on with the shadow and stuff like that. So I yeah. grew up on that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really see it going away. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, I've been doing it. This is my 14th year now. And so uh, a lot of people that, that were listening early on have, have drifted away. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of my, <laughs> my good friends haven't heard the podcast in three or four years. They just kind of burned out on it. So, but on the other hand, I, I keep picking up new listeners. And so I think that uh, it could be just sort of like a, a Podcasting is you get into a genre like you do with with music, whether it's punk or rock or whatever, and you will have waves of listeners. And, you know, I've had a few people come back that hadn't heard it in a number of years and they kind of burned out on Terrence McKenna. But now they like the new stuff I'm doing with Salon, too. And so, uh, you know, it's it's and I'm I'm the same way. You know, I used to listen to a whole lot more podcasts than I do now. Mm-hmm. And uh now I'm kind of checking out others, but you know I'll go out to Joe Rogan and, and download the ones of, of people I, I really want to hear yeah. about. And same with others, I've gotten more selective in that I don't listen to the same podcast every week like right. a lot of people do with me. You know, right. uh, but I know that when they get kind of burned out on the salon, they'll go away, but they might come back for a story or two, and <clears throat> and then after a couple of years, it'll be new. And uh, I think as long as we want to keep doing it. Uh, I've considered uh, doing a number of things. That's why the Salon 2 is uh, something that I've, I've started out uh, with, with a couple other uh, young people doing it because I know eventually I'm going to uh, burn out and get tired of doing it. And so I'd like to keep the thing going mainly because, uh, you know, at one point in time I was out in the end of the line, didn't know anybody that was involved in the, in the psychedelic community, and I felt, you know, like I, I was an oddball or something. And a lot of young people come to the salon that way. And, and yeah. not just young people. I've had people in their 40s and 50s that said, you know, I did, did some uh, psychedelics when I was in college, and then I forgot. Now my family grown and gone, and I want to renew that whole connection. Well, it's a safe place, safe way for people to connect with that information. Yeah. It's private. Um, they can really dive in and explore it. That, the freedom of that thought process, the freedom of their own consciousness, uh, it's just it's sort of a private conversation they're having with all these ideas and these, these talks. Well, and, and I'll tell you something else that I'm trying uh, to get going. Uh, 
hasn't hasn't gotten too big yet. But I I do uh, every Monday night. I get together on on Zoom here with my uh, patrons from Patreon. And then on the first Monday of the month, I open it up to the whole salon. And and we've never had more than about a dozen people so far. But eventually, I'm going to get Bruce and uh, Bernardo in a regular monthly thing. We'll combine the whole thing. I would like to see because uh, with this technology, we can we can get. Uh, several hundred people together, and uh, you you have ways to raise your hand and ask questions. But here's to me the big thing, is uh, you know I can go up to my name here and right click and when it says rename, I'll just put San Diego after it so that that people know where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, then uh, if we were going to do like a weekend conference or a, you know, a conference with two speakers one night or something like that, taking a break 10 minutes between the speakers, there's a function here where it says, uh, uh, it's not on my screen, but it'll be on your screen since you started this meeting where it says breakout rooms. And uh, we've tested this and uh, we found that putting three people in a breakout room just with a click of the button, you could take a thousand people and, and split them into rooms of three where they get to find the others and they get to know each other. And if you got your city up there, uh, it's, it's been kind of interesting because, uh, well, like, uh, last Monday night, we had, uh, somebody from Uruguay and also somebody from, uh, uh, wow. New Zealand, uh, one guy in a coffee house in New York city and another guy up in the, in, uh, Silicon Valley, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's been interesting. And, and over time, I think if we build up an audience for things like this and maybe get several podcasters together who, uh, you know, talk about it, we want to do these things for free. That's the whole thing. And, and, yeah. and to help people know they're not alone. So if I'm, if I'm a 19 year old kid sitting in, in uh, the middle of Kansas somewhere and one night I can talk to you, you know, I wind up in a breakout room with you. I mean, this is a big deal to, uh, the people, especially who are isolated. Would well, you remember when Evolver started making those spores and they had the spore meetings in localized in cities where they'd meet at the yeah. same the same day on the same subject? But other than that, it was pretty open and it was a way to meet people in your community. Um, that since sort of folded, but yeah, I love the I love the idea of just sort of helping to foster community, new connections. Uh, does when you do the breakout rooms though is it a bit random on how it connects people or can you well, do it based on location? You, you can. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, to me, I think random might be the most fun way to do it. You know, just yeah. <laughs> let it go. And and you can you can set any number of breakout room from two to you know twenty or whatever you right, want. Right, 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 right. But uh, and this is just stuff we're experimenting with and, and uh, getting a feel for. So uh, uh, over time, uh, and and it. You know, not just Islam, but over time, these kind of uh, online communications where you can uh, have video, too, are, are at least the next best thing to, to being there, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And it's a lot easier. But, yeah. uh, now, video video blogging, uh, you know, uh, or, or uh, video podcasts, I should say, I don't see how they're going to really fly. Although, I guess with, e- but even, you know, with your iPhone and you're always looking down, uh, I think the podcast, because people can drive their UPS truck or they can commute to work yeah. and stuff like that. The podcast in the ears is still, I think that's going to be around a lot longer than some of the other tech. Well, there's there's a perseverance, as you said, to radio to now. I mean, there's a reason why audio 
I don't know, there's something very personal and intimate about it, especially when it's in your ears and it's just yeah. you and that program. Yeah. Well, you know, also something I know a little bit about your history and your path that maybe others don't know as much. I just know the broad strokes, but would you consider yourself a baby boomer? No, I'm I'm uh, uh, before the baby generation boomer. before. Yeah, I was born in '42. Okay, so, uh, almost. Yeah. That's yeah, true. my brother. Not, not my a, brother was born in in '47. He's a baby. He was yeah. a baby boomer. Yeah. But I know you were in the Navy and you were a lawyer and like you like you said you got in, some of these ideas were introduced to yourself fairly later in life, or at least what you consider later in life. And uh, I'm always curious, you know, what it is that cracks the nut. Like what what is the thing or what practices or experiences were the ones that sort of helped push you over the edge? For me, it definitely was a lot of things, as it is with everyone. It's a confluence of events. But psychedelics certainly paid pretty powerful role in that. And because I was a tough nut to crack and I needed to sort of almost actually see and experience something larger than myself like that, that I couldn't argue with. And then I had to just go make sense of it. And I was fortunate in a lot of ways to have some good and positive experiences and start to find information in elders, including information through things like the Psychedelic Salon or these conferences like Reality Sandwich uh, Retreat that I did. But, you know, what was it for you? you, Can you connect those dots? Uh, (laughs) I have no clue. You know, I I went to... uh, undergraduate school got a degree as electrical engineer and I'm working my as an electrical engineer going to law school and I get a chance to uh, sail on a square rig sailing ship with a old sailor hero of mine wound up working as a stuntman in the movies then the draft was after me so I joined the Navy became a naval officer you know no planning so far. I was just reacting right. to things, you know. So I go back, I get back involved in law school, and or I go through law school, get a law degree, and uh, I found out I hated being a lawyer. You know, I had I had problems of my own, and then people were bringing me their problems to solve. And oh, so I can't it, imagine. Yeah, it, it really sucked. So, uh, so I wound up getting into business, and and uh, I was still kind of geeky, and and that's when personal computers were coming out. So I I started. Uh, uh, personal computer company and we designed and built some and we private labeled others and and uh when ibm came in they crushed us like a bug and so uh, (laughs) then i became a motivational speaker and during the whole thing uh that's when ecstasy hit the street in dallas mdma and uh up to that time i was you know 42 years old and uh never even smoked a joint i was clean you know and because and, you know i had a law license in texas you get 30 years to life in texas for a single joint at the time Good god wow. yeah but ecstasy was legal and so uh, long story short i became a drug dealer had to, leave the state, <laughs> had to leave the state of texas and went to florida and did various and sundry things and uh all right hold on time out when <laughs> at some point in time someone gave you your first hit of legal uh, ecstasy at the time so, I mean, who did that? How did that happen? Yeah, uh, you know, it, 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 the whole story, uh, you go to the uh, psychedelicsalon.com, and on that front page, there's a 30-minute uh, video interview that's titled Confessions of an Ecstasy Advocate. And uh, but I'll give you the, the headlines there. Uh, 
I'm I'm uh, running a computer company in Dallas, and it's it's a, a multi-level company, you know, like Amway of computers. But uh, mm-hmm. we'd made the front page of Wall Street Journal. I had a four-color picture and story in Forbes magazine. You know, I was I was a high flyer. But uh, of course, IBM came in and crushed us like a bug. But during all that, my my friend in in Biloxi, Mississippi, who is also a lawyer, called me and said, "Heard of ecstasy?" And long story short. At, you know, didn't even realize this until years later, but uh, Dallas is where ecstasy hit the street, where it broke out of the uh, the, no uh, kidding. the the psychologists who had been using it out here in the coast. And uh, uh, so a, a friend of my wife's was a, a model in town and ran with a fast crowd. So I had lunch with her. She hooked me up and uh, <laughs> one thing led to another. Uh, and I became you know, evangelical about it. It was, it was like the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. And, and so I started turning everybody on. Well, long story short, this lawyer businessman in Dallas starts turning people on. And next thing I know, I'm moving, you know, 100, 200 at a time and getting a discount. And my computer company was in trouble. So by then I'm moving a few thousand units a week, you know, and, yeah. and so I'm funding my computer company with all this. It was just, just crazy at the time. And then they made it illegal. And so, uh, by then we needed the money. We just, you know, we stopped for a little while and then it became legal again and we went back and long story short, when they finally did make it illegal the last time, uh, they started rolling up some, some of the people I was involved in. And so I decided time to leave. You Texas. got out. I got out of Dallas, yeah. So it, it was a, and my computer company by then had had closed. You know, we they forced us out of business. IBM just crushed everybody. So, uh, but it was great time. You know, it was high flying, and I I got to uh, you know in it was 1980 we outgrossed uh, Microsoft. So, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> but, but you know, Bill Gates was a businessman. I was a carnival barker. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So, uh, what was your next psychedelic experience? When did you break into, uh, shall we say, a true psychedelic? Well, well, it, was, it took a while. I, I, uh, I'd been doing ecstasy, you know, a lot of ecstasy. I, you know, I really abused it. We had, I had no peers. I didn't know what was going on, and it took me almost a year before I had a, a my first joint. <laughs> Finally, I had oh a little cannabis. But uh, you really were just obsessed. Before, you were just what? You said you really were obsessed. You were just oh, yeah. uh, going for one one thing. You love it. You're going to go <laughs> That's into it. it. <laughs> well, just, just before I left for uh, Florida, a friend gave me uh, a sheet of windowpane acid. And, you know, I, I was still in that whole just say no kind of mentality where I was a little concerned that, you know, acid, I'd never come back again. I, maybe I haven't, but uh, I, I had that for months and months before I finally gave it a try. And uh, the woman who was my wife at the time, we had a long talk and I said, you know, uh, this might be it. I might go completely crazy and jump out of a window and you know, like with all the stories. But I had an incredible, wonderful, beautiful time. And from then on, there was no looking back. And and through this connection in Dallas, I, I had access to a lot of experimental drugs. And uh, I got a hold of this one thing. I, I didn't know what it was. And by then, I'd been re- corresponding with Rick Doblin, and that was even before he started. Out. Maps. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I got I got a hold of this one thing. It was just awesome. And so I wrote to Sasha Shogun out of the blue, and he and I started a correspondence. And so uh, mm. I got to know him even, you know, maybe, oh, I guess it was more than 10 years before I met him. Uh, so, uh, you know, it just one thing led to another, but I realized very quickly that, 
uh, I've been lied to about everything. And, and yeah, uh, yeah. I, I knew that, that this is something that's not for everybody. It's, it's really for a small percentage of the people. I, I would doubt if even 15% of the world population would be attracted to some of these states of mind. But on the other hand, the internet has come from psychedelic experiences. You know, yes, if, yes. If, if everybody who has taken acid uh, more than a half a dozen times in their life had never been involved in technology, we wouldn't have personal computers of the internet, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, a lot of, probably a lot of uh, scientific breakthroughs, you know, there's a lot of people who talk about well, how they use it. Kerry Mullis, Kerry Mullis, who learned how to sequence DNA, you know, he got that uh, insight on an acid trip. Uh, in fact, the guy that, that discovered DNA, one of the co-discoverers. Uh, the double Chris, helix, right? Chris, yeah. Uh, said he did it on acid. So yeah, you know, this is, this stuff is important. And, uh, I think that you know we're we're sort of at the very bedrock of learning, and you know, a lot a lot of people are learning how to use it a lot more than has yeah. made, made the press. But, you know, you, I I was microdosing in '99, and now uh, you know that's making mainstream press. I had a, yep. a a friend of mine who has disavowed me for like 20 some years. Uh, you know, he's a born again Christian called me and asked me uh, the details about how to go about microdosing. Oh, really? He's come back around, huh? Yeah. He saw it on CNN. He's like, yeah, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I think I think mushrooms is, my my, my gut's telling me that's going to be the next wave now that marijuana is becoming quite, you know, cannabis legalization. I hear it's, it's happening in Canada. It's probably a matter of time just based on administrations in the U.S. And I know it's, they're trying to get it on the ballot or it's going to be on the ballot in California, I believe. I know they're trying in Oregon. There's a group there and for, for medical use. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing that started that, that uh, was new to me until I actually read about it was uh, microdosing uh, mushrooms. And yeah. now I've, I've talked to several people who have been doing it. And I've tried it. Yeah. I, see, I, I, when I, uh, I haven't done microdosing in, in a long time, but in uh, the last six months of, uh, final draft on the spirit of the internet i microdosed uh, during that whole period and uh found it really really worthwhile before that when i was writing code i microdosed a few times uh, in big projects you know but uh, i'd never even had thought about microdosing on mushrooms just something never occurred to me and the people that i've talked to that have done it uh swear by it say it's really a a good uh good um, it's worth trying uh for me it was hard i found more success when i tried microdosing with lsd that uh was a better fit for my body i mean i think mushrooms and psilocybin is such a close ally to me spiritually and it's been such an inspiration that i'm not able to even like dip my toe in the water without just being in that space well see that's that's the thing for me uh these all have a little different vibe to them. And, Very and much, yeah. Mushrooms are, are cosmic, uh, yes. like that. Uh, acid is more, I can write code on acid. Yes, exactly. I write, I text on acid. Uh, ayahuasca is grounding, earth-centered, life uh, uh, lesson kind of thing. Well, and it messes with my stomach, too. It's not something I'd want to take a <laughs> shot of before starting my day. Yeah. And then there's there's cannabis, which is like air. Yeah, <laughs> right. You seen one of these little things? What are these vaporizer pens? Well, this the particular. I've got a. I've got a nine or ten vaporizers. This is a Pax ERA. This thing is bare. Is this thing is lighter than two joints? Okay, <laughs> and on a single charge, two hundred hits. Is it liquid in there? It's it's a little canister. 
Oh, my. And it's uh, hash oil. You can get it in all kinds of uh, varieties. And there's no carburetor, no no on-off button or anything. You just draw. You live in the California dream, Lorenzo. <laughs> you doing the CBDs out there? Or you doing full THC? Oh, that well, you can get it in CBD. That's THC. Uh, on top of that, talk about the California dream. I order it over the internet. I pay with a credit card. If my order is in by 6.30 at night, it's delivered by noon the next day, delivered to me. It's the and I get a, a, a link where I can track the package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's better than the weed dealers I had to deal with back in New York City who'd maybe show up in a six-hour window. And Hey, when I was living in Tampa before I moved out here in 99, you know, I had to drive over to the, the dark side of town and get all this stuff with sticks and stems and leaves in oh, it. Oh, yeah. God knows where yeah, it's from. It was from. real ragweed, yeah. but, but nonetheless, I was never without it. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I know, uh, that, I know that. You journey. know, and, and and you're still a lot younger than me, so you'll you'll get to where I am. You know, the whole country is going to get here. There's no question about that. But uh, yeah. I'm just glad I got there while I'm still uh, in good enough health to enjoy it. And, Hell and, yeah. Okay, I'm 75. I'm going to be 76 in a couple months. And that's the only medicine I take. You know, my dad, I think, died of mainly side effects from all the medicine they had him on. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I stay off all, all pharmaceuticals. You know, I, uh, uh, I don't eat any junk food. We eat everything, uh, you know, we cook it ourselves, we try to avoid processed food, everything organic. So, you know, uh, and I exercise, I wouldn't, but my wife makes me. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, there's no reason I can't, uh, keep doing these podcasts at least another five or 10 years, you know, hey, if you love it, do it. Yeah. I mean, do you, you feel that man? Yeah, I went in 07 and 2012. Okay, yeah, 07. That was the last time I was there. That was yeah. the one where the man burned on Monday night. Right. And there was an eclipse. I remember I showed up on Monday night, and within half an hour, everyone, I, it was my first time there, and everyone started running towards the center, and I'm just like, what's happening? Like, the man's burning, the man's burning. I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but you know, I guess it's a big deal. Some arsonist burned the man. That, that was a one-of. It's never happened before or since, you know, and uh, that, that was an exciting year. It was disorienting because I quickly realized that was a useful piece of neon architecture to tell you where the center was at all times. <laughs> it really was disorienting. And, and, you know, after the burn on Saturday night, the first year you're there, you, you, you don't realize how, how disoriented you can get. So right. uh, after, after the first year, you start looking at stars and stuff like that to right. <laughs> find your way around. But uh, actually, I'm, I'm planning to go back in, in uh, 2022 and uh, uh, celebrate my 80th birthday, and Bruce will be celebrating his 60th birthday there. Cool. And so we're both committed to going back for, uh, for that one for sure. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. I was at the Eclipse Festival playing some music this last year. Ah. Um, that was a big one. It was about yeah. close to Burning Man's size. And yeah, uh, Darren was talking about that. You know, it, it impacted all of the festivals uh, that year, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, so many people went to Eclipse instead. But he, he said it was just an awesome event. He was quite impressed with it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's like, I have torn feelings about a lot of the festivals. I'm more of an introvert, so sometimes it's hard for me to make it through the whole thing. But uh, I certainly appreciate them. But it's, it's, it is pulling teeth for me. I sometimes would rather just be backpacking somewhere. Well, you know, you don't have to explain that to me because uh, 
I have left this county only one time in the last four years. <laughs> Good for you, man. I don't know if I'd leave either. I, I walk, you know, a little over a mile over to my granddaughter's house and back, and uh, see them every day, and and that's that's the extent of it. I'm I'm, you know, I used to travel for a living. You know, I, oh, I yeah. cover a couple hundred thousand miles a year, and I, you know, I just really burned out on that. Leaving on Monday, getting home Friday night or Saturday, and and uh, so I'm really enjoy. You know, now with the internet, I can. Feel like I'm, you feel know, connected. Around. Yeah, and I've got so many books I want to read, and and uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of writing again, and so you know, I've I've got a lot of stuff to keep me busy. I've got all the, the cannabis I need, and so I'm in good shape. I mean, all right. Do you feel that you were in similar jovial spirits earlier in your life, or is, like is that part of your personality, or is it something <laughs> you feel you've cultivated? Well. Now I am really in good spirits, but for a good part of my life, you know, it was a lot of show. And I, I say this <coughs> because, and, and you'll probably find out one day, I've, I've uh, typed up a whole bunch of my journals that I wrote in the uh, 80s and 90s. And uh, they're, they're really pretty depressing. And so I'm not going to publish them while I'm alive because I don't want to answer any questions about it, you know. But, you know, you read them and you think, my God, how did he get, you know, far enough? Yeah, I, I, you know, I like being alive. And, but I have, I've, uh, I've got a, a, a wistful streak in me. I'm very melancholy. You know, I'm, I'm Irish. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Yeah, and and uh, but some of my best writing has come when I've been in in those down moods. Right now, I'm in such a good mood; it's really hard to do some of the writing I want to do. And but I, I've uh, I've got those those uh, journals uh, pretty well all digitized now, and uh, I'm gonna gonna put them in a blockchain with a, a uh, encrypted with a code to release. You know, uh, you know. 20 years from now or something like that. So I'll be at least senile <laughs> to answer any questions. So, uh, eventually I'll put it out there. And, and, uh, in fact, my last book I put out in the public domain because it's essentially financed by my uh, patrons there. And so I'm going to start moving, uh, all the stuff I've already done and put it into the public domain too. And, uh, just leave it there. It, it kind of irritates me to, to buy a book written by, uh, Aldous Huxley when I don't know who's getting the royalties on it. You know, he's long mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want people feeling that way about me. And I'm, I'm going to put all my stuff in the public domain. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm an old hacker. Information wants to be free. And you know that because you've been doing very similar things your whole life. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've been very committed to things like Creative Commons and yeah. just exploring about how things are always wanting to expand and flower. And Yeah. Yeah, well, you've, I mean, man, you must have been introduced to – so you started the podcast 13, 14, 14 years ago? Uh, I'm in. I, I finished 13 years. I'm in my 14th. 14th. Year. Yeah. I mean, just think how that alone has expanded your orbit. <laughs> oh, geez. you know, I. Well, my my father, my brother, and my mentor all died in their 63rd when they were 63 years old. Oh yeah. Well, I started the podcast when I was 63 years old, and so I've just started a That's whole fantastic. new life. You know, and and it has become you know a, a large part of my life that. Uh, most of my old friends uh, and colleagues have gone by the board, although a couple old uh, college uh, classmates have poked up in the last few months. I, I don't participate in Facebook. Uh, I, I dropped that Me many neither. years. 
And, and you know, I, I had like 3,000 friends that I'd never met, and they were tagging me in photos at places I didn't want to be tagged in. <laughs> and I wasn't there. And so I thought, you know, this is getting out of control. So I dropped it, no, oh, I guess seven, eight years ago, something like that. But uh, <clears throat> I, I, uh, I still stay on Twitter because <clears throat> I announce stuff like that on Twitter. But I'm... Uh, I've got mixed emotions about social media, but yes. I want to stay involved in it enough that I, I know what's going on. And well, me too. I think I think we don't really quite understand what that's really doing to the fabric of our minds, let alone our culture, and we're yeah. diving in so fast. And I, just speaking from my own personal experience, I just didn't feel very good when I used it. Yeah. It was real, got real clear, and it, I just had to take stock in in how I felt and I didn't necessarily need to figure out why. And I noticed when I would take breaks, I felt better. Yeah. Like, and it's just kind of creepy when you, after, but you know, that I, I had made contact with like my very first girlfriend from high school and some of my family members. And when I dropped, I lost all that. I, I'm yeah. no longer in touch with any of my cousins, uh, that old girlfriend, like the old days. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I'd been like seven years uh, disconnected from the past, and somehow a couple of my old uh, college uh, compatriots have found me lately, and uh, and my my second girlfriend from high school found me recently. <laughs> well, so screw the first, so, uh, you found the second, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're finding it through the psychedelic salon, actually. So <laughs> man, yeah, but, but you can see what they missed, you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> So th- when was it that you went out and did Rogan's podcast? Was that a few years ago? Oh, that was in 2014. It was? Was yeah, that the last I, I time you left got, the county? It, it was pod, his podcast number uh, 419 because he commented, oh, I should have had you in tomorrow for 420. But uh, Oh, yeah. I yeah, was so and, happy and we, he had you We on. did four, four hours on there. That yep, uh, That's how he was, does it. It, it was a good good uh, conversation. I, I've got to send him a copy of my book because uh, I put a, a copy of that picture he put of the two of us in the book when I talked about uh, having done drugs with two celebrities. One was him. He We, we smoked dope before the conversation. Oh, That's sure probably why it went on so I'm long. Sure it was really strong, too. Yeah. So i I got to remember to send him a copy of that book. <laughs> yeah, he's had some people on his show that I can tell, like, don't smoke much. And they yeah. definitely take a puff there and they just go off <laughs> which is highly entertaining to listen to but uh, you know he definitely like must he must have a certain environment there that just makes people feel really safe well it's kind of a dark cave-like environment and uh, yeah. but but you know he he is basically uh self-educated to a very high degree i mean yeah, he's he, a curious guy he is extremely intelligent and sharp really quick he understands stuff just like that you know and mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's got a terrific mind. I know that, that he's, you know, I, I'm not into all the, the, the fighting and everything like that, but I understand where he's coming from and where he grew up. And, you know, Matt yeah. Palmer, grew up in the similar area, you know, part, in the same part of the country. And, you know, South it was, Boston or something? What? Is it South Boston? Yeah. Yeah. Palmer was in, uh, Dor- Dorchester. And, uh, uh, you know, when he was three years old, his father tried to burn the house down around him, you know, Palmer. What? Yeah, yeah, he's he he grew up tough. Let me tell you, that's tough. Yeah, <laughs> tough. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, growing up in that environment is so different than what I grew up in, and uh, and yet, you know, uh, like Matt and I are really close friends. And I, you know, if, if I was, I could hang around with Joe Rogan and be friends, even though we have different interests in, in something. Yeah. You know that, uh, 
we still have a lot of stuff in common. And that's why he's he's so popular. I think he's maybe got the most popular podcast. He is. Yeah, he's definitely the big gorilla in the room of podcasting for sure. And it's his his interests are pretty broad, but it's like thank God that he's interested in things like psychedelics a little bit. I, I, I would I don't I get the sense that he hasn't done like a ceremony setting. I, I get that same sense too. I never asked him point blank, but I, I've uh, heard many of his shows and I've just sort of culling that from what I've heard him say. Yeah. Uh, and I would love for him, I would love to give him that experience. I really would. Um, I think, I think he's got some prejudice against it being too woo woo or new agey. And I'm like, well, there's plenty of stuff out there offered. That's very grounded. There's nothing no, to I, argue I with. Think, I think he's pretty, pretty open. And the, the thing particularly about ayahuasca that I feel strongly about is that it will, it will let you know when it's time for you to come. And, uh, you know, I searched it out, you know, vigorously for 10 years and couldn't find it. And all of a sudden it just found me. So, right. uh, and, and you've heard a lot of people say the same thing yeah. about that, I think. But, you know, it's, it's fascinating because, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I, when I was, I haven't participated in a number of years now, but uh, the circle I used to belong to, we had an Iowa come up from Peru and, uh, you know, I, I would talk to him about it and he says, yeah, he says, we, we kind of got this, this message that it's time to bring it out of the jungle. And of course now it's just really prevalent throughout uh, the Western yeah. world in particular. So uh, oh, it's everywhere. Uh, yeah. And you know, it shouldn't be a surprise that a molecule is in our brain would want to <laughs> reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's such a trip DMT just trying to figure out what it's all about and absolutely fascinating i like to think about the uh, the burning bush in the bible too and whether or not that was a dmt trip because well, you know it was a plant uh, with dmt in it uh whitley streber who did the ufo contact uh, thing he was the one that became pretty famous about the contact uh probably about uh, 15 years ago he he had a, a book came out that I, I heard a review of on on the radio or something and and <clears throat> the part that they were talking about to me sounded like a dmt trip Mm. So I got a hold of him and uh, suggested that, figuring he'd just reject it out of hand. And uh, long story short, he finally got in touch with Rick Strassman, who did the DMT molecule experiment. Right. And he and Strassman corresponded for a while, and he, he agreed, uh, Streber agreed, that there's a possibility that what he was experiencing was a DMT release from his brain. It certainly and, seemed uh, to be an I, I thought that was very, very big of him to say something like that because his whole career depended on, on being abducted. But in a recent <laughs> podcast, McKenna just said that uh, the, the whole point of being human is to be able to distinguish uh, dreams from reality. <laughs> mm. Well, that's an interesting <laughs> comment. Spin that in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Too. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That kind of makes me chew for a while. Unless it's all a dream, then it's like, what's the reality? Well, you know, uh, the scientists who have, or mathematicians who have calculated whether or not uh, what the possibilities are that what we're experiencing here is really inside some sort of a huge cyber computer and, and you know, this is all generated. Well, the, the, the odds of that being true are 50-50, and you can't prove 50, that you're 50. not. What a and cop so, out. <laughs> so I, I've decided that since you can't prove we're not in some kind of computer simulation, 
And since I'm kind of geeky and write code, I'm I'm writing the code to make my life turn out really good. You know, and I'm having a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. I've got these granddaughters here. My kids and I are getting along well. I'm finding some old friends. I, I'm hacking the code pretty well. So you've got a vaporizer pen that's yeah. the size of a pack of gum or something, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a stick of gum. <laughs> well, you know, I can remember it. Yeah, I'm funny. I don't know how this memory came back. You, you, as soon as you, you did like that, I, w- I can almost remember where I was sitting in grade school. And I don't remember what they were talking about, but I realized that we could just be like in a little bubble on a ping pong ball, some being played in another world. I, you know, that's, that whole uh, intertwined uh, telescoping thing. Uh, is something that is so common in human thought. And we, you know, I had that thought as a child and then put it away. Uh, but when you come right down to it, you know, we don't know what's going to happen after we die. The older I get, the less interested I'm in thinking about that because I'm going to find out sooner I want to anyhow. And so I'm more interested in uh, how I can enjoy or bring joy to my life and, and uh, happiness to people around me without me, uh, feeling like I'm, I have to do something. I just want to be me and enjoy myself. And, and if I'm not making people around me feel good, well, they need to go somewhere. I'm not going to change anymore. And that's, that's the greatest thing about getting old. You know, we see it in the movies about the grumpy old men and everything. And the only difference between a grumpy old man and you is that we're so old, we no longer worry about saying what we're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> grumpy old men have been thinking those thoughts their whole lives, and they finally feel free enough. Well, and, you don't seem very grumpy. <laughs> well, no, I, I've got most of that out of my way, you know. But but it was a, a revelation for me, maybe in the last, well, definitely within the last five years, I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do any more big sailing, ocean sailing trips. I'm not going to write a great American novel essentially I've done everything I'm going to do. You know, the podcast the salon is really the, the pinnacle of my life and I'm going to keep doing that. But I am what I am. Like Popeye used to say, you know, I, I, I'm, there's nothing more for me to prove to anybody. And I think part of that has come from the fact that all my life I wanted to, to make my mother, my father, my grandparents, yeah. my aunt and my brother happy. And they're all dead and gone now. Everybody that I'd spent my life trying to impress, oh, God. they're gone. And so I don't have anybody to that I have a need to impress anymore. And so uh, it's very relaxing, actually. It's, it's not sad. It's, it's just what is. And uh, it, it, you get to a point where you say, ah, you can breathe easy, and uh, that's what it's going to be. And uh, done the best I could at the time. I, I wish I'd uh, known what I know now way back from the beginning, and I would have done a lot of things differently. But at the time, I did what I could. Well, what, what, what would you do differently? I mean, you're just saying you would have maybe tried that mindset on a little earlier? Oh, I, I, uh, the, the, the big thing, you know, I grew up in lower middle class or upper poor class family. You know, my dad didn't have a car and that was embarrassing. And we didn't have TV until I was in sixth or seventh grade, something like that. Where'd you grow up? uh, Just outside Chicago, Elgin, Illinois. And uh, so, you know, I grew up, uh, I had a mother though, who she had uh, 
gone through a, a girl's finishing school for high school because her cousin was the mother superior's Catholic school, and my mother got a, a piano scholarship so to play to the school. So no she was very refined and, and, you know, had new manners and taught me table manners and stuff. So I always wanted to become part of the upper class. And there is such a class structure in this country. I, I made it pretty far. I, I, I made my way to Notre Dame. I, I hobnobbed with the rich kids. I went to law school at the University of Houston. I had to have a tuxedo because we're taking all the debutantes out. And, uh, you know, I was a multimillionaire by the time I was 40. I was really getting there. And then I realized after I started taking psychedelics, that these people liked me because I had money and I threw it around, mm -hmm. but I was never one of them. I was never accepted. I, I would never be good enough for them. Uh, I, I could have enough money, but I wasn't their class. And uh, so I became resentful for a while. And then I realized that, well, you know, I need to re realize that I'm just a working class stiff. And uh, these are my people. And I'm, I'm more of a Bukowski than a Huxley. And, and, uh, but it's taken me a long time to get here, you know, because I, I was striving since a kid trying to prove that I was as good as the people who were born rich. And uh, that's just never going to happen. And now, now I'm, I'm glad I went through that arc because I did have a lot of stuff at one time. And, and I realized that it wasn't not only was it not bringing me happiness, it wasn't uh, it wasn't achieving what I wanted. And that is to be accepted uh, for just being me. And, uh, right. and that's what I'm doing now. You know, that, that, uh, you know, I, I'm not, you know, if people don't like my podcast, they don't have to listen to it. You know, it's not like I'm, uh, I, I can just be me. And, uh, yeah. And also get that way, you know, achievement, like you're saying, sometimes can be a bit of a, a fog in life. Right. I mean, it's, that is a tricky game. You know, I think, especially now, maybe that's going back to social media. That's one of the issues with it is that, Everyone's their own PR agent, and everything's everything's quantifiable. Everything's about numbers. You know how many yeah. numbers everything has, how many likes, how many followers, and that can really screw with your head. Oh. Let alone what you're trying to do in life, and and it becomes this like uh, this false game that really goes nowhere. It's a hamster wheel where eventually you're just you can either like find that uh, inner sense of of knowing and strength because there really isn't anything else. What well, did you did you see that? Uh uh, that story on Black Mirror about social media? Well, I've seen Black Mirror, but I don't know what story you're talking the, about. The one where uh, their lives were controlled by getting likes and if... if, if oh, yeah, that one is fantastic. Nose well, dive. Yeah. that is underway in China right now. There's There are over 200 million people in the Chinese experience like that. And if you don't have a high enough sco social score, you can't get on the bus. You I did see that. That was that was the true manifest of that storyline. That blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and, and you know uh, it's 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 easy to see how somebody could slip into something like that. <sighs> it, it is and it isn't. But it's sort of like it, they also the movie Her H E R that came out a few years back, where the guy uh, his everyone has what we have now a phone, but it uh, it becomes artificially intelligent. That's the new mm -hmm. software, and he falls in love with his. Uh, artificial intelligent uh, his phone and uh, I don't know it's just like come on I mean I both of us grew up at a time where we didn't have the internet and 
here we are. We didn't even have iPhones that long ago. What was it, 10 years, 11 years ten, ago? 10 years. And the, the way that's transformed this planet like a bolt of lightning is unfathomable. It really is. And I just... I don't even think anyone knows what the hell is going on and what well, this is doing. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I think there are three major inventions that are totally transforming humanity. The first was a printing press. The second was the World Wide Web. And the third is blockchain technology. And the reason I say that is block, everything is going to go to the blockchain, you know, deeds, records, you know, law, everything is going to go out there. And, and the banks are all, you know, it's, it's the biggest uh, research and development projects around the world with banks and governments even, uh, stock brokerages. But once the blockchain is, is essentially algorithms, there's a really good book called Homo Deus. And it was written by the guy that wrote Sapien that was on the bestseller list a few years ago. Homo Deus is an important book if you want to see where things are mm. going. And, and in just probably 15 years or 20 at the most, 80%, 80% of the jobs in this country are going to be automated. <laughs> what are those people going to do? And the automation is AI. It's, it's algorithms that control everything. And when, when things get into the blockchain and it's all done by algorithms and it's taken out of our hands, and then a real AI, an intelligent batch of algorithms that start communicating with one another – uh, we're going to have to find a niche for our human societies. I mean, it's, it's, it's we're at a beginning of something really weird. You know, it's, it's like the, uh, the uh, horizon event of some kind. Uh, or, or I am just uh, as goofy as Terrence McKenna was when he was talking about 2012. <laughs> you know? But I would advise you to pay attention to, uh, to, to algorithms, AI, and blockchain. Well, uh, what was it? What did Terrence say? I'll pay attention to AI, and if, if anyone tells me they just came online, the first thing I do is hide. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just be like, before this, what's happening, you know. See, yeah. there's a big difference between artificial intelligence and artificial consciousness. Oh, I don't believe I'm not a singularitarian person yeah. that thinks but, we're ever going. You can't do such a thing, but I do think we could mimic it to the point where you would know the difference. But oh, but well, yeah, because uh, and your your example of the phone is a, a starting point because AI is going to get so into your your life that if if you start feeling ill, uh, it will schedule a doctor's appointment for you. But because it knows your DNA and your metabolism. It's going to to prevent you from buying foods that are bad for you. <laughs> yeah, essentially, that AI would be your your front office doctor. You wouldn't even get to a person until like you've gotten past the you know the needs of what because it'd be faster, cheaper, and they'd yeah. say the same thing to you. Like well, we got your stats, we did this the lab test with your finger exactly. on that, and here's what we need to do. You know. Yeah, Amazon's bringing your prescription by 6 p.m. tonight. Yeah. My drone, yeah. <laughs> yeah take your pills. Yeah. <laughs> the phone will tell you. Yeah. Uh, but it's a quick question about blockchain. Like, you know, most people don't understand what that is, and I probably only understand it about 80% myself. I mean, could you give a quick definition of the technology? It's it's a, a way to eliminate what a uh, trusted third party. So if, if you're going to sell me your car... Uh, I want to give my money to a third party and you give the deed to the third party. And when you have both the money and, and it clears and the deed is good, you give me the deed. He gives me like the deed. Like PayPal or a bank. 
Yeah. So you eliminate that so people deal directly. So when I want to buy a car from you, I say, okay, I hold my phone up and I say, here's my my money coming into you. And instantly the deed comes back to me and our transaction's done. We don't need anybody in the middle. But that seems like that would um, decentralize things in a way that would take power structures power away. Why they would not want this. They don't understand it yet. <laughs> and, and everybody's looking at their own. The banks see it as a way to save money to, and make more money. Mm-hmm. And everybody's seeing this as opportunities. But what they're not seeing is the, the societal change that's going to take place. Uh, there are some people that are talking about that uh, for sure. Can't but, you uh, use it anonymously and also use it in an encrypted way? Like it can, it can, information can travel. Because I saw an article just yesterday by an artist named Imogen Heap who is talking about using blockchain to attach to songs so that everyone can get paid royalty wise no matter where that song goes. Because right now it's very difficult to get the right information about right. royalty splits. It's very complicated around the world. And she is suggesting this technology would be an, a pretty good fix. I, I'm sure it will because because it's in the, first of all, the information isn't in one place. It's in a thousand places. Mm. And all of these people agree that when this song is played, that that person playing it has to send some money to you and all that's going to take place behind the scenes. But there's no way to shut it down. There's no server you can turn off. There's nobody you can bribe. It's 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 all programs. All, so all there are no fees involved? Like you oh, can do oh, micropayments? You, you, have to, you have to have fees to pay for the people who are running all the computers. And that's what, what mining is all about. You've heard about mining. and Yeah, I was just going to ask you if you're a Bitcoin miner. Oh, no, some... no. <laughs> <laughs> Bitcoin miners need, you know, a 100,000 square foot warehouse, 20 feet high, filled with computers. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, no, I, 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 uh, I started accepting Bitcoin in, in 2013. And uh, I've just kept everything that's come to me. And so I've got like uh, almost five and a half Bitcoin that I'm just sitting on. And, and maybe one day it'll uh, help me pay the rent, which keeps going up here in Southern California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you guys, did you ever have any of those fires near you? Oh, yeah. We, we, the last one, we had them in the county. The last serious one we had was 2014. Uh, but, you know, the, the San Diego County area has 11 major firefighting organizations mm-hmm. and they there is no central body over them and yet they come together and work with precision and uh, you know san diego uh county has the per, per area the largest military footprint of any comparable area in the world no kidding you got the <laughs> navy got down the, there right the biggest navy base on the west coast you've got the marine base you've got a navy air base uh the drones are made here it's oh, a huge boy. defense industry here. Uh, a lot of the big uh, defense companies here. There used to be a couple of spy companies heading here. You know, uh, Cubit and uh, Qual and uh, I'll think of them later. But they've moved into the Beltway now. But there's there, everybody here in this county that's not involved in tourism is either military or ex-military in some kind of a defense thing. So it's it's a pretty conservative area, mm. and. Uh, you know, yet, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
everybody's accepting. You know, I got a long ponytail. I go to the gym every every week a few times, and <laughs> nobody ever hassles me. Uh, a couple of the old Notre Dame guys know that I'm a Notre Dame guy, and they all have the crew cuts that have hair left. And uh, but nobody hassles. I go to the Notre Dame club meetings here for the senior Notre Dame, fifty five and over, and. Uh, there's one other guy with a ponytail, actually. He's a surfer nice. about my age. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people are well accepted out here. Uh, you know, they they, uh, they wouldn't want to follow my beliefs or anything, but uh, it's a good place to live that way. And so from when fires come, uh, people really cooperate. During the 2007, there were 500,000 people evacuated during that huge fire. And uh, Qualcomm Stadium was one of the uh, points where people went. And the line of cars going into the stadium to drop off food and clothing, uh, you saw all kinds of, you saw limousines and Rolls and <laughs> expensive cars. I mean, people really came together here. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a good community uh, and, and uh, Caucasians are less than 50%. So it's a, a fairly well uh, mixed community. A lot of, a lot of Mexican Americans and, and uh, Spanish speaking, but uh also, a lot of races here, so it's it's a it's a good little place to uh, to raise a family if you're rich. <laughs> yeah, if you got the, the money for the housing, right? Oh, it's <laughs> so expensive. I think you know most of us renters are paying like sixty percent of our income for housing. But wow. the only reason we're here is we've got these two granddaughters that are you know nine and thirteen, and so. Uh, we're a mile away from them and, and involved in their lives. So it's, well, it's you worth guys have a nice spot. Yeah. I yeah mean, it's, it's worth paying for that. Yeah. Definitely have a nice spot. Yeah. Well, man, you've created quite a legacy for yourself. I'm excited that uh, the, the Psychedelic Salon's probably one of the longest running pod- podcasts. Yeah. We're, we're going to be in the top 100 probably because there weren't too many yet back then, but uh, that are still going. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. And it's a hobby, you know, that, that I've never, uh, I, I don't use Google ads on the site or anything. I don't have the, those little buttons where you can like it or, you know, social media connections. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I, uh, John Gilmore, who was co-founder of the EFF, uh, Electronic Freedom Front Foundation, uh, or Frontier Foundation, he, uh, I've podcast several of his talks at Planky Norte, and he helped me clean up the site to make sure that <coughs> it's essentially non, uh, not tracking people. Right. So, or it couldn't be reverse tracked and all. So anyhow, I've, I've got the site pretty well cleaned up and, and I get enough donations that it's paying for itself. And now I'm, I'm doing this writing project and I have, uh, 81 patrons who are, are, you know, giving me a couple bucks a piece a month. And, uh, Life is good, you know. I I uh, some more. I, yeah. I I uh, don't really have any regrets about losing the millions that I had at one time. Because then, <laughs> if I still had stocks and stuff like that, I'd be worried about the damn stock well, market. You spent you know, it, I, yeah. I, great. You know, I I, I own a, a eight nine year old uh, Honda Fit. That's the only car we have. We're <laughs> renting. Been on month to month for uh, eight years. So. Uh, uh, no credit card debt, you know, living on social security and, and a few other little things, uh, odds and ends. And so, uh, uh, I never thought that, uh, I could be so happy with so little. And, well, uh, Lorenzo, I look at you and I see you as a rich man. So. <laughs> I am. I truly yeah, am. I truly you really am. are. Well, Hey, where, where can I just get your places? We can find you like the psychedelic salon yourself, your book. Yeah. Just, just go to psychedelic That's, that's probably the best place. And, uh, 
uh, on there, or I'll tell you another one. You can get a free copy of my book. My last book, I put it up in the public domain. You can download a PDF copy. And that's at LorenzoHaggerty.com, uh, which is a site that's got a bunch of links on the front of it. It's just a yeah. brochure pipe, but slash free books. And uh, you can download the book there and uh, hope you enjoy it. Is your Genesis generation on there? I'm going to be putting it up there. Hopefully uh, in the next couple of weeks, I've got a little work I have to do. And uh, uh, when I free that up, I'm going to uh, put the Genesis generation up there too. The, the audio book or the... I- I'm going to do both the audio and a PDF copy. Yeah, I remember hearing the audio book. It was great. But, you know, when I when I finally printed it in paperback, I, I did a big revision of it. And the uh, the prologue and final chapter are different. So it's kind of a different book now. A little oh, bit. So, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I'll put the PDF up there. It'll be up there in a couple of weeks. And uh, you can download a copy. Print and, and, you know, I'm putting these things in the public domain so you can print out copies and sell them. No royalties required. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I dig it. <laughs> Awesome, man. I really appreciate, you know, making some time for me and getting a chance to connect with you again. It's always good. It's It's been fun and we'll have to do it again here uh, when we go down the road a little further and have some more stories to tell. Yeah, yeah. And maybe we'll cross paths if you're now that you're out at these festivals again. Well, uh, no, maybe I'll be one, at the Imagine one, one conference. One well, conference. that one's, they've asked me to come before. Maybe it'll align in the future. So we'll, 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 we'll connect. We'll yeah. connect for sure, Trevor. Good uh, to see you again. You too, man. Say hi to your wife. It's been lovely. Namaste. Thank you. Well, there it is. Another episode of 10 Laws with East Force. Thank you so much to listening. Thank you to Lorenzo Haggerty. If you like this podcast, please do give it five stars on iTunes. 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 Go to iTunes.com and give us a good review. This music you're hearing is not released anywhere it's sort of just some more piano music little short one minute licensing outros things like that Um, but if you do like this it's pretty darn similar to my album held which you can find through 1631 recordings and there's a link to that through my own music through eastforest.org or you can find that anywhere you know out there that you enjoy music you can always say hello at eastforest.org and keep walking your walk Don't take any shit, but if you do, do it with grace.